The king demands absolute obedience and more so from his queen because she is the trendsetter. She is the one that everybody is going to look at to see how the rules of this kingdom are supposed to work. If she breaks them, they will think it's okay to break it too. Obedience starts in this family, in your physical family. To be obedient to your parents' house rules. And every house has got different rules. We didn't all end up with the same rules. This household, Gnosko's got its own rules. And we need to obey the rules that are set by our fathers, the leaders. And if we do that, we move on to the next one. We, we, we need to obey the rules that my husband lays down. My physical husband. And when we get to, to do that, only then will we be able to follow God's rules. Because the flesh goes before the spirit. You cannot jump the one and think you will get the other one right. You have to start at the gate of the tabernacle and work your way to the Holy of Holies. You cannot jump from the gate to the Holy of Holies. We said, the way you trust your father the way you see your father is the way you will trust God and it's the way you will look at him. The way you treat your husband, the way you trust your husband, it's the way you will treat Jesus. If you're not in love with your husband, if the love between you is grown cold or there's strife in your marriage, you're going to struggle to fall in love with Jesus. Hearing is crucial in this falling in love process. Because if I cannot speak to the person I'm supposed to love, how am I going to fall in love with a person I do not know? And the only way to get to know a person is to have conversations with that person so I can get to know the character of the person. And then I'll fall in love and the more I know about the character, the more I will fall in love. So I need to hear Holy Spirit speak to me. So today we're going to talk to the bride, the mothers, the wives, and this has got nothing to do with gender. Because the majority of people in this body is either mothers and brides or children. It's only a small percentage of this group that's fathers or leaders. So today's session is about all of us.
and how we learn to be brides. And this is where men can learn how to be a bride, which they're going to be a bride one day. So I think they need to clean out the ears very well, because we know the drill more or less. So we're going to start with Esther 2 verse 12. Before a girl could take a turn with King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments that were ordered for the women. For six months she was treated with oil and myrrh, and for six months with perfume and cosmetics. We've already done the 12 months. We already know that the 12 is for perfect governance and that she had to get herself in line with the government she's going to fall under. Now we're going to work with the six. Six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. So it's telling something that man should do. Man should do something. There's only two sixes. But a third one is hidden in there. We don't see it straight away, but there's another six in there. And I'm going to show it to you and I'm going to reveal it to you. So we know that man consists of three parts. The body, the mind, and the spirit. So the first thing that you don't see there, the first sick that's not so obvious mentioned there, is the body. Those treatments was done to the body. She had to actually clean and bath in those things. She cleansed her body. The first six that's mentioned there is talking about the mind. It's cleaning the mind. Your mind is the place where you create. Yes, you heard me correctly, you can create. Because when Adam spoke the names of the animals, it became that name. So he created the character of each animal when he spoke their name. So you can create. And creating your world starts in your mind. Every new invention was a portation from heaven. No invention was created because man was so clever. It was his creative spirit imported in you that made us being able to invent things. When you stuck with a problem and you need a solution, you go to your mind and you search through the files to find an answer for the problem. And sometimes it just pops in there. Out of nowhere, you just have an answer. Who gave you that answer? Because most of the time when that answer pops into your brain, it's not something that you knew it's something you never thought of. Creativity. God the Creator made us creative. The songs we sing, the music instruments we play, 
when we paint, when we decorate, anything that's creative was imported to us. Your mind is your storing box. This is where you store everything that you've seen with your eyes, heard with your ears, felt with your body. All the experiences you have is stored in your mind. Now my question is, what do you fill your mind with on a daily basis? Who do you rub shoulders with on a daily basis? I know we have to go out in the world and we have to work in a world and we have to see things and hear things that we don't necessarily want to. But how do you balance the things in your life? You can only control the things that you can do. If you work in an office where there's constant gossip and negativity and there's not much you can do there. So what do you do to balance out the negative with a positive? The only thing that you can do is to cancel out the negative that you are in control with. That is the things that you see. So what do you watch? What movies do you watch? What games do you play? What magazines do you read? Anything that goes into your eyes that you have control over, you have to limit those things. Same with the things that you hear. Who do you spend time with? Is it positive people or is it negative people? Because everything you see and hear, every emotion you feel is stored in your mind. Are you trying to fill your mind with good things, with pure and holy things? What is the balance? Is it equal, equal? Equal world, equal good things? Or am I trying to tip the scale a bit? And this is something serious. This is something that we really have to consider. How much am I putting in my mind that is worldly? And how much am I putting in my mind that is holy? Is the scale tipped to the side of holy? What I fill my mind with is where I will go to to find an answer. So where do I go to find an answer? Am I going to the world, the garbage heap, or am I walking the garden to find an answer? 2 Colossians 3 verse 2 Think only on the things in heaven, not the things of the earth. Philippians 4 verse 8 to 9 Brothers and sisters, think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Do what you learned to receive. Do what you learned and received from me. What I told you and what you saw me do. And the God who gives peace will be with you. If you're in a troublesome situation, do you have peace? Because what is it that you run to in your mind? Is it peaceful things? Or is it worldly things? So, let's get to the oil and the myrrh. So man, the flesh, the human, not the male, was treated with olive oil. 
Olive oil was used to anoint people, especially for position, but they were anointed for a lot of other things as well. A king was anointed as a sign that he was chosen by God. Olive oil is also a sign of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one that sanctifies us. He fills us with good things. He leads us to the things that we should fill ourselves with. He readies us to see Christ. Holy Spirit is our richness. Everything that we need, not want, He will give to you. It's a promise. That's why He is our richness. He is our joy and He is our spiritual health because He's the one that's going to clean up the mess. You are anointed for a position and you were being okayed by God for that position. And He's handing you Holy Spirit to help you step into that position. Olive oil is also used for cooking. Holy Spirit is the substance that our food is being cooked in. So when we were served spiritually, it will feed you. It's got a large amount of antioxidants. It has a strong anti-inflammatory properties and it may help prevent strokes. Moving over to myrrh. Oil of myrrh. It's very nutritious for the skin. It soothes dry and chapped skin in harsh and dry environments. You see, you need Holy Spirit so you can keep the moisture in. When you go to the desert to get rid of the things that's in here, because that's the only place to get rid of these things, you need to take Holy Spirit with you. He is the moisture that you're going to need in the desert. Otherwise, you're going to die in there with your sin. It has anti-cancer properties. It has antibacterial, antifungal, astringent, and that gets rid of all the spiritual illnesses. All the bacteria, all the fungi. That was the work of myrrh. Cancer. It's a duplication of a cell. So it's not the original anymore. It's being duplicated over and over again. It's a false cell. So it helps you get rid of false truths. It relieves upper respiratory problems so you can breathe Holy Spirit out. You must take it in first so it can run through the body. But when it comes out, it must be life-giving. It's mouth health. They rinse their mouth with it or they, I don't know, they smeared it in there or what, but it's, it, it helped with mouth health. So that when you speak, you'll speak truth. It's for relaxation. 
It's used as a cold compress. It's an emotional balancing. It, it helps to balance your emotions. And Jesus should be our focus. When we have emotional issues, when our emotions run away when there's a problem, that should be the focus so that the emotions can come into balance with what is really true. So that is how we clean the mind. The second six is the heart. Now I know I said that the body consists of a, 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 a human consists of a body, a spirit and a, a, a mind. So why am I bringing in heart here? Because what you fill the mind with is what's going to settle in your heart. And what the heart is full of is going to flow out of your mouth, which is spirit. So we need to clean what is in here. But before we can clean what is in here, we need to clean what is up here. Matthew 12, 33-35 If you want good fruit, you must make the tree good. If your tree is not good, it will have bad fruit. A tree is known by the kind of fruit it produces. You snakes, you evil people. So how can you say anything good? The mouth speaks the things that are in the heart. Good people have good things in their heart and they say good things. But evil people have evil in their hearts, so they say evil things. So the spirit that leaves here is the spirit that's in here. Luke 6 verse 45 Good people bring good things out of the good they stored in their hearts. But evil people bring evil things out of the evil they stored in their hearts. People speak the things that are stored in their hearts. So let's see. How did Queen Vasti know Esther? How did Queen Esther clean her heart? What did she use to clean her heart? She used sweet-smelling cinnamon. That's a key ingredient to holy anointing oil. Holy anointing oil was oil kept for very special occasions. For when a high priest was to anoint, to be anointed, or when a king was to be anointed. We're going to be queens. So we're going to be anointed with holy anointing oil. All the other priests were also anointed, but not with holy anointing oil. What is the sim symbol of sweet cinnamon? It is to stand upright. It was gained from the bark of a tree. The stem, it's steadfast, it's steady, it doesn't bend and give in. Sweet smelling cane, somehow when I wrote that, I saw sweet and cane, I was thinking sugar, and I thought this is a sticky mess, I can just see how this can just stick on you. 
And when I worked through it, I realized it's cane. It's a kind of cane. It's not sugar cane. Okay, so sweet-smelling cane is another ingredient for the holy anointing oil. What does it symbolize? Self-sacrifice, self-denial. You see, because the cane had to be cut off in, total, in totality. It had to sacrifice itself. And you can only give a gift of sacrificial self when it comes from the heart. You cannot sacrifice or deny yourself when it comes from your mind. When it comes from your mind, it's selfishness because I get to benefit from it or it's legalistic because I know I have to do it. It's not from the heart. Because when you do it from the heart, it's because I want to do it. The last one, three oils. Kaja oil. And we had a lovely session on Kaja wood. So now we're gonna do Kaja oil. Okay. Another ingredient in the holy anointing oil. Kaja oil, they say, is a tree that grows in India. But we have Kajas in South Africa as well. In the northern parts, there's Kaja trees. I've started this new thing where I try to collect one plant that of significance that's mentioned in the Bible. So if anyone wants to give me a gift, I need a Kaja tree. <laughs> I want a Kaja tree. Okay. It is used to make clothing fragrant. So the things that you cover yourself with spiritually, that's the fragrant. It is used for mummification to damp down the rottenness. It improves insulin sensitivity and I just had a feeling that there's something spiritual there but I didn't have time to go dig in it because we hear insulin today a lot. So I'm hoping that Holy Spirit will lead me to something there. I just felt that it was something spiritual. But he hasn't yet. So, and it was used for flavoring in foods. So the words that you leave, that leaves your mouth is a tasteful. Can people eat it? Will they come back for more? So what does it symbolize? It symbolizes a split. A split in the sense that you are set apart from the world. You are taken away from or taken out of the world. It's also devotion. To be devoted to someone, you cannot have pride. There's no ways if you have pride in you that you will bend down to wash someone's feet or pick up mess after someone else if pride is in your heart. So it means that you have to be stripped of pride in order to stand in devotion. It also stands for consecration. The third oil has three properties. Set apart, devotion, consecration. Declaring that you are sacred. Take it in. 
It's declaring that you are sacred. You are set apart. But this is not the same set apart as the previous set apart. This set apart is with a servant heart to serve. Psalm 45 verse 7 and 8 says, You love right and hate evil. So God has chosen you from among your friends. He has set you apart with much joy. Your clothes smell like myrrh, aloes and casia. From palaces of ivory, music comes to make you happy. Your lifestyle, when you love right and you hate evil, you smell, your clothes, your lifestyle smell like myrrh, aloes and casia. Now God has given us an imagination. He talks to us through imagination. I want you to use your imagination quickly. Not quickly. I want you to use your imagination now. I want you to imagine how you would feel if everybody in this family, in this Kenosko family, treated you as if you were sacred. As if you were the queen. When they served you, they served you because they loved you, because you were a good queen. To be adored by these people. Imagine it. Feel it. Think for yourself, how would it be? It's important that you feel this. Now I want you to imagine, and unfortunately if you're not married, you're going to struggle with this one a little bit. I want you to imagine if your husband treated you like the queen he adores, he loves to bits. When he serves you, whether it's coffee, or washing the dishes, or filling up the car with fuel, or whatever it is that your husband do for you, he did it because he wanted to. Not because you asked him to, or you begged him to, or whatever reason. Every little thing that he did for you as the queen, he did because he adores you, he loves you, and he wants the best for you. Isaiah 43, 24. So you did not buy me incense, or so you did not buy incense for me. You did not freely bring me fat from your sacrifices. Instead, you have weighed me down with your many sins, you have made me tired of your many wrongs. What he's saying there is not that we need to do something for him. He says, you haven't even tried. You're guilty because you haven't even tried. All I want from you is to examine your heart and see for yourself where did you not love your body? Where did you not love your husband? Because if you're willing to admit that I didn't do it, He will send the Holy Spirit to come fix it. Because we cannot fix, we cannot force love. 
We need him to help us in that section. We need to start in the family before we can move to our houses, our husbands, before we can move to the throne room. So we need to examine our hearts here. And we need to see, how did I not love and uplift and encourage here? Psalm 141 verse 2. Let my prayer be like incense placed before you and my praise like the evening sacrifice. Revelations 8 verse 3 to 4. Another angel came and stood by the altar holding a golden pan of incense. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's holy people. The angels put this offering on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke from the incense went up from the angel's hand to God with the prayers of the people, of God's people. I always thought that my prayer is the incense that I'm sending into the throne room. But when I read Revelations, I realized that the incense went with the prayer. And I wondered, what is the incense then if it's not my prayer? It's my lifestyle. Because when I pray, I pray according to my lifestyle. If my lifestyle is not good and I pray, most often it's selfish. Even if I pray for someone else, it's because I can see the benefit for them to change or whatever to happen. But if my lifestyle is good, when I pray, I pray so that you can be better. So that I can uplift the whole body and not just me. So what are we leaving in the throne room then? Are we leaving a stench? Or are we leaving an aroma? Our lifestyles is the fragrance the people's going to smell on a daily basis. Our prayers are what our hearts are filled of. So this is how we clean the heart. And this is how we prepare to step into the position of a queen. But we know no when that is yet. That is still a working progress. So in the meantime, what is wives and mothers and women in general supposed to do? We the help for the fathers. And in Genesis, Adam and Eve were given equal right to rule over the world. They didn't have one a little bit more than the other one. And I'm going to prove it to you in just a while that you have equal right to rule. So whatever the husband is busy doing, you're going to help whatever he's doing. You're also going to see to the well-being of the household. You're the one that cooks and feeds and clean and makes sure that they're dressed and that their clothes are clean and you do all of those kinds of things. Are you doing it in the body? 
Are we tending to the well-being of the people in the body? We nurse. We nurse the babies. Because they need to be fed often. The nappies need to be changed often. You cannot just give them one bottle and leave them. They're going to die. So we need to feed them and nurse them. But we also need to nurse broken hearts, loneliness, confusion, anxious people. We need to nurse those things as well. And discipline. Mothers also discipline. It's not just fathers that discipline. Mothers are working with the children most of the time. So when something happens on your beat, it's your responsibility to discipline. And I know most of us are guilty doing the following. When your father gets home, he's going to hear about this and you're going to get it from him. Don't do that. I had to stop doing that. Because I'm creating a picture in my child's mind of who his father is that's not true. You deal with the situation the best you can. If you can't resolve it, you're going to have a discussion with your husband. You're going to explain the situation. You're going to tell him what you did and whether it succeeded or it failed. And if it failed, you're going to have a discussion on how you're going to make the situation better. And if it's decided that he's going to handle it, you're going to back him 100%. You're going to be on the same page. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 24 says, Wives, yield to your husbands as you do to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body, which is the church, as the church yields to Christ. So you wives should yield to your husbands in everything. It's a hard word for a wife. I use this specific translation because I want to use the word yield and not submit. Because I want us to just look at the word yield. There's two inscriptions for it. The first one is to produce or to provide. So you can work when you are a wife to help the husband with the income, but you're also providing a home. You change the house into a home. You're providing a safe space. You're providing a place where everybody feels welcome. The second one, to give way to arguments, demands, or pressure. That does not mean to give up or to give in. It means we have different opinions and we don't see it the same way. I'm going to serve you by letting you have it your way, unless it's not a godly way. Because it's not about who is right and who is wrong. It's not about making a point. If you cannot submit to your husband, 
you cannot submit to Jesus. If you cannot submit to your father, it's going to be hard to submit to God. And I keep repeating this because I need us to understand this, why it is important for us to honor our parents, even if they're not godly, by submitting to their rules and showing them love. Because you, the Bible, that they're going to read. Ephesians 5.33, and wives must respect their husbands. I've realized with humanism and I having a right, the lines around respect is blurred. I had to come to the realization that as the generations went past, we understand less and less about what respect really is. And I'm just going to touch on one of the aspects that got lost when we talk about respect. To respect means I'm not going to run to my friend and tell what my husband did to me this time. In other words, gossip. I'm not going to gossip about my spouse's or my family member's mistakes. When I talk to someone about a mistake, if it is not to help that person, you're not supposed to talk about it. You talk about his good qualities and his admirable character traits. That's the things that you talk about. That takes me to Proverbs 31, and I'm not going to read Proverbs 31, but I do suggest that you read Proverbs 31, and I know that a lot of you have read Proverbs 31, and you know what it says, but I want you to read it again after this session with new glasses on. Proverbs 31 has got 31 verses. It means a verse for even the longest months. Twelve of those verses is on how to be a good wife. Take note, twelve. A perfect wife. The wife in Proverbs 31 worked for her own money. She bought land and she worked the land and from the land she provided for her house and she paid her slaves with those money. She boasts about her husband in the marketplace. She, spe she was talking about his good and admirable qualities and character and things that he did. That brings us back to 1 Corinthians 13, which covers a multitude of sins. If I can love him like that, He will want to become the person I see because I can guarantee you he doesn't see it in himself. He might say a lot of things, but inside it's not what he feels. And if that's the way you talk about him, he's going to want to become that thing. Respect, the world says, is earned. I say, respect is created. 
because I create my own future by what I say. Think about that. Sin is known as nakedness. So if I tell about someone's sin or someone's mistake, I'm undressing that person to anyone that would listen. It's called pornography. That shook me. I did not understand it like that. Undressing someone for someone else to see is pornography. Out of love and respect, I will cover their mistakes, not hide it, because in the private of our home, we will discuss the mistakes, but it's not for the world to see. Genesis 9 verse 21 to 23. Noah was drunk and naked, and he passed out in his tent, and his children found him. And two of his sons went in. They walked backwards into the tent to cover him up. Now a lot of teachings say that's because children are not supposed to see their parents naked. That's not what's happening there. It's got nothing to do with that. Because if you have elderly parents that you need to help bath and get dressed, how are you going to do that if you can't look at them? So it's not what they're talking about. They're talking about his sin. They respected him so much that they didn't want to look at his sin. And they covered him up so that the world would not see his sin. Adam and Eve covered their own bodies with leaves when they realized they sinned. They realized they were naked because of their sin, and that's why they covered their bodies. And Werner's got an excellent teaching on why God changed the leaves to skin, and he must put it up for us so we can work through that, so we can learn something about covering up someone else's mistakes. If you uncover someone, you do not love that person. And that is why 1 John 4 verse 20 says, If you don't love your brother that you can see, it's impossible for you to love God. Because the proof of my love, of your love to him, is the way you love your brother. It also talks about covering prayer. So how do I cover my husband? In prayer, I pray for direction, that he would have direction, that God would show him direction. I pray for leadership, that he would stand up in the leadership role that God created him for. To be the prophet, to speak life into the family, to be uh, the priest that would take his family to the throne room and ask God, what am I family to do today? What do you want us to serve you in today? be the leader, the one that guides them and protects them and things that the king do. That he would take responsibility 
for the position that he has. That he would own it. When you can see there's something wrong, and maybe when there's problems in your marriage, and things are not running so smoothly anymore, that you would take both your hearts to the throne room so that God will fix his brokenness. Not so that you can benefit from it when he's fixed, but so that he can be at a better place, so that he can do what he's supposed to do. And that I can ask God, show me, how can I help to fix his brokenness? How can I serve him in this hard time that he's going through? The only triangle in a marriage is the God triangle. You, your husband, and God. And you should pray that both of you grow closer to God because if you grow closer to God, you grow closer to each other because there's no way you can move up the triangle and not move closer to each other. That you will both stay loyal. And on that, I have to say, if you're not happy in your household, if you're not happy in your marriage, going to be terribly hard to stay loyal. To gossip is going to be very, very hard not to do. Love like the church, love like Jesus loved the church. He gave everything. He loved you so much that he protected you from having peace of meat ripped out of your body. That you would be so raw that you have no skin left on you. He loved you so much that he protected you from that. And that's how much we should love the church and it's, it's hard for us. So I'm going to leave you with that. That is the bride, the function of the bride, the function of the wife, which the majority of the group is probably falling into. We need to start in the first room. That is the church, the fellowship, Gnosko. And we need to sort it out here. Before I can start thinking of my marriage, I'm going to continue next Sunday. And then we're going to do the last bit, which is the children and where they fit in. It's going to be a short teaching. Um, there's not so much heaviness in there because they're still growing, they're still learning. But we're going to have a small teaching on that and then we'll fill it up with other things next Sunday. Okay. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe to our channel and make sure to click the bell notification button to get any notifications when we upload a new video. Stay blessed.